Boy, we are chatty tonight, aren't we? It can't be because of the weather, so. It is wonderful for us to be here. Psalm 31, if you'll turn there, we'll begin reading in Psalm 31. A couple quick announcements, as I mentioned to you, that we will be here Sunday mornings at all three services, 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock. Um, yeah, John or Jerry, one of them, they're passing Bibles back and forth. And if you need one, just raise your hand, and they'll slip you a Bible. So, Jerry, Sandy doing well in her surgery? Okay. Okay, praise God. Okay, Sandy had surgery on her knee, so keep her in prayer. And uh, we're very grateful that it went well. But um, three morning services, we are going to finish chapter one of Second Peter and go into chapter two. And uh, so um, we'll be the next three weeks in Second Peter, very powerful epistle uh, as he's writing his last words to the Christians before he is executed. And what he has to say is very powerful. Um, and then there's some other things in your bulletin. Take a look at it. Uh, be in prayer for our children's festival um, that we're doing in the park, the park outreach, uh, June 1st and 2nd, which is a week from Monday and Tuesday. And um, we're looking forward to that and uh, be in prayer and um, pass the word along uh, to others, uh, those in your neighborhood, uh, coworkers, other family members of the park outreach. It'll be Pheasant Run Park on Monday, which is over there off 47th Avenue and 4th Street, I believe. And then on Tuesday, Island Grove, 9.30 to noon, right, Heather? And there's going to be, um, you know, Bible study, puppets, games, crafts, all kinds of neat things for the kids. And we're really looking forward to reaching out to this community uh, the love of Jesus Christ. So be in prayer about that. And uh, so many are volunteering and helping, and I really appreciate it. I know God's going to bless. Uh, so that's coming up, and um, there's some other things as well uh, that are in the bulletin. I should look at it very quickly. Uh, Pre-registration for Vacation and Bible School um, or the Children's Festival, you can do that out there in the uh, foyer area in that table that's out there. Also, tomorrow night, Grief Share, right, Joan? is starting up for 17 weeks. It's actually 14. 14 weeks. So on Thursday, and it's not just for uh, us here at Calvary Chapel, but it's also for um, anyone who is uh, wanting to um, just um, go through and, and be comforted and learn more about the grieving process and to be able to be ministered to. So uh, if you think that will benefit anybody, uh, be sure to invite them tomorrow at 7 o'clock. And Joan here uh, will be happy to answer any questions that you might have. And I believe her number or her contact is there. It is in the bulletin as well. Other things coming up, but take a look at it. We want to make sure that you know everything that's going on at Calvary Chapel. But let's get into our Bible study uh, here tonight as we're traveling through the book of Psalm on Wednesday nights. We'll continue to do that this summer. And in Psalm 31 and Psalm 32, uh, as we look at these two Psalms, David is talking about God's forgiveness. And we know that as we read about David's life, uh, that David was one that went through tremendous adversity and difficulties in his life. 
And one of the reasons was, as you read in 1 Samuel, that David was pursued by Saul in the wilderness for about 12 years. And many of the Psalms that we write about that he went through difficulties and and trials came from that time where he was uh, running from Saul. And if we get to it tonight, we'll see uh, one of those times where David was hiding in the area of the Philistines, and he writes a psalm concerning that. Uh, Also, we know that David would write certain psalms and the adversity that he went through because in 2 Samuel, his sin with Bathsheba. And I believe that as we go in chapters 31 and 32, that these two psalms were written during that time and right after David's sin with Bathsheba. And you know the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, how when the men were out fighting, that David stayed behind. And it says when kings should be out, you know, to war, that David stayed there in Jerusalem. And David went out on his balcony at night, and he saw Bathsheba bathing, and he called for her. And he ended up committing adultery. She was pregnant, and so he called uh, her husband Uriah back from the battle to, to come home and, and, you know, spend a nice evening with your wife, and he wouldn't do that. Uriah was a man of great integrity and character that he said, how can I do that when, you know, my uh, fellow soldiers and, and mighty men and comrades are out fighting? And he wouldn't do that. So David came up with the plan to have everybody retreat from the front lines, and Uriah would end up being killed in battle. So David would hide that sin for almost a year before Nathan would come to him and, and um, would confront him and told him a story that, David, we got a problem in the kingdom, and that is there was a, a very wealthy man that had a lot of sheep, and, and he had a visitor come, and he went over to his neighbors who had one sheep, and it was a pet to him, and he loved that sheep, and he took that sheep from that, that poor man, and he fed it to his, his uh, guest, and, and uh, David was furious, and he said, that man ought to die. And Nathan looked at David and said, you art the man. You are him. And you sinned, David, and you took Uriah's wife. And so there was consequences that came as a result. And even though David was forgiven, we know that Nathan would say to David that, David, first of all, you've caused the enemies of God to blaspheme his name. And when Nathan said that, I'm sure that it broke David's heart because he was a man after God's own heart. And we have seen in these Psalms that it is David's desire to, to worship the Lord and praise him and magnify his name. And his fellowship with the Lord was of prominence and importance. And we will see that going through these Psalms. But also it was Nathan that said that David... David, didn't the Lord deliver you? And the Lord, he, he made you king, and he gave you the kingdom. And if that wasn't enough, he would have given you much more. The Lord said, I would have given you more if that wasn't enough, David. And David, of course, would experience great consequences that happened in his family. And that as you read the rest of 2 Samuel, because of sin. And I want to remind you that as David rejoices that he is one that is forgiven, he also will express here the consequences of what he's gone through because of sin. So let's begin to learn from this and begin to look at chapter 31, again, a psalm of David, that he writes in verse 1, In you, O Lord, I put my trust, and let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock or of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. 
for you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. And then in verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. So here we see the emphasis of the psalm is trusting in the Lord, no matter how difficult the circumstances are. And I think that David, again, is experiencing, as we'll see this as we continue through the psalm, the, the difficult circumstances of, of what he's gone through because of the repercussions and, and consequences of his sin. So David didn't trust in his might. He didn't trust uh, in himself. He didn't trust in his position. But when it came to the difficult circumstances of life, David, we see, would put his trust in the Lord. And Lord, because I trust you and cry out to you, you act to deliver me. So David calls the Lord his rock, and we have seen that. And what does that mean? That, Lord, you're my rock. It's a place of, of solidity and, and strength, and, and you set my feet upon the solid place. And, and, Lord, you are that for me. You are a place of stability, a, a solid foundation. And that's true for any of us as we place our trust in the Lord. That is a place of safety and, and stability and strength in our lives as we you know, depend on him and as we put our you know, trust in him. And he is our fortress for protection. So David is expressing that. And then in verse 5, into your hands I commit my spirit. That may sound familiar to you because that's the last words that Jesus would say on the cross before he breathed his last. So Jesus fulfilled Psalm 31, verse 5 in saying that, but also as David says it in this psalm, that he's just, again, uh, he is expressing how he has committed his life to the Lord, and that's what you and I are to do. And in verse 6, I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. So David expresses such trust and confidence in the Lord and his surrender to the Lord. And he says, I can be glad, verse 7. He's glad because, number one, you can write down in your notes if you want to, he knew that God would not ignore him in his trouble. Listen. We can be glad, have a gladness of heart and a comfort of heart knowing that God does not ignore us in our trouble. And sometimes we can feel that way, can't we? We can feel isolated. We feel alone. The enemy wants us to think that God does not see us or hear us, but he does notice us, and we can be glad that he does not ignore us in our time of trouble. Second of all, he says, I can be glad because you know my situations, and he knows our situations as well. He knows what you're going through. He knows how you're feeling. He knows the, the difficulty that you are facing and the challenges and the hurts that may be uh, in your life. He knows all of that. He knows your situation. And thirdly, we can be glad because we can place our safety and security in him. As David here in verse 8 says, that you've set my feet in a wide place. I, I like that in a safe place, in, in a place that is secure. And so David, again, expressing his confidence in the Lord in his adversity. And then verse 9, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eyes waste away with grief, yes, my soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. 
I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mine. I am like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side while they take counsel together against me. They scheme to take away my life. You know, David, sometimes when we read about his life, we think, man, you know, David had such an incredible life, and he did. David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. He ruled during the time that Israel was united. It was only a short time, and only his son Solomon ruled for about 40 years where the nation was united. Then it ended up being split and and divided. But David, he went through such hardships and difficulties and a tough, tough uh, circumstances that he faced. And here I believe that what David is saying here, and particularly in verse 10, is he says that my strength fails because of my iniquity, that uh, many scholars and interpreters believe that he wrote this around about the time of his sin with Bathsheba. And I think that verse 11 also gives us a hint of that, and I'll tell you why. Because he says in verse 11, I am a reproach among all my enemies, uh, as he is just saying, I'm despised by them, but especially among my neighbors. Now, why would he say that? Because here's the situation 3,000 years ago. When David should have been out the war, he should have been with the men. He gets up, he walks out on his balcony, and he sees Bathsheba that's there within eyeshot, and he asks for her and has relations with her. And you see, it was the desire, it was um, the, the goal of every young man that was in Israel to be one of David's mighty men. And if you were one of David's mighty men, then you had a prominent position to live around the palace of David. You had a house there. You had living quarters that were there. And it served for a couple purposes. Number one, it was a place of of privilege, status, and, and blessing because you were one of David's mighty men, but also that it would serve as when they were there not fighting, that it would serve as protection to David. And that's why Bathsheba was close by David because Uriah was one of David's mighty men as you look at the uh, scriptures and you see that he's listed as one of David's mighty men. And it was David that saw her and then as he took her, so the neighbors, the other mighty men, they're talking and, and, and they're wondering what's going on. They're confused because of what David did. And again, he is expressing the terrible consequences of what he did. Here's the thing that we need to remember. We can be very grateful for the forgiveness that we have as we confess our sins. And David was forgiven. Nathan said, David, you are forgiven of your sin, but there's going to be consequences because of it. And we will see in Psalm 32 that David is going to express the joy of forgiveness, but he experienced the consequences of his sin to a great degree, and he expresses that. He talks about how he hurt and those who talked about him and fled from him. He says, I'm like a broken vessel there in verse 12, for I hear the slander of many and fears on every side while they take counsel together against me again. That it was Nathan that said that the enemies of God, you caused them to blaspheme his name. They're going to scheme against you. They're going to talk against you, David. And David would go through terrible consequences because of his sin with Bathsheba. Listen, we are forgiven of sin, but that is not going to, you know, uh, make us to where we won't experience the consequences of sin. And we need to remember that. You see, it's a loving father that says, don't sin. Stay away from it. 
because I don't want you to get hurt. And I think that probably most of us in this room, we know that to be true, that there is incredible forgiveness of the Lord when we confess our sin, when we come to him, when we repent. Yes, the forgiveness of God is so wonderful. We can have joy just as what's going to be expressed by David, but there are consequences as well. So it's a loving father that says, don't sin. And his commandments are an expression of his love. You've heard me say this before, but this is the love of God. Do you keep his commandments? And his commandments are not burdensome. Listen, the Lord wants every single one of us to experience that abundant life that he has for you and for me. So he says, I don't want you to get hurt. This is an expression of my love. Here's my commandments. So you can live that abundant life and be blessed and be healthy and that there's safety and security in living after me. It's a good way to live. And he warns us in his word. But you see, if we're sowing seeds of the flesh, of the flesh you're going to reap corruption. There's a harvest that's going to come up. There's going to be consequences and there's going to be repercussions. And it doesn't mean that the Lord can't work during those times. David is continuing to cry out to the Lord. It does not mean that the Lord doesn't, you know, love you, that he can't restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He loves you, and he wants to continue to work, but we will experience the consequences, terrible consequences sometimes because of sin. And we need to just know that and understand that, and that's what David is expressing here. But we continue in verse 14, As for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. And do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. And let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be in silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things, proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. So in the midst of my trouble, I'm going to call out to you, Lord. I trust in you. I commit myself into your hands. And that's what we can do. One of the things about as we are the children of God, if the Lord is chastening us or his hand is heavy upon us, as we're going to see that David is going to express, we still can call out to him. And he is there. And we can still trust in him and commit our life to him. My times is in your hands. I like that. Lord, my times are in your hands. I don't want to be in any other hands. I don't want to be in the world's hands. I don't want to be in, you know, trusting in my own hands and my own ways. I want to put myself in your hands, Lord. As Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And those who know me and love me, they're in my hands that the Father has given to me. And no one will pluck them out. I want to be in the Lord's hands because I know that he is just and good and merciful and graceful. And I'm going to call out to him. And that's what David is doing. And in verse 19, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in your secret place of your presence from the plots of men. You shall keep them secretly in the pavilion from the strife of tongues. In verse 21, blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I have said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. And, O oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. For the Lord preserves the faithful, fully repays the proud person. And be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. 
So David realizes that God is good, and he is good. And your mercy and your goodness will not fail me, Lord. He knew that the Lord would be kind. And what troubled David more than anything else should be the same thing that should trouble us more than anything else. In verse 22, and he said that I am, you know, he was worried. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. In other words, he did not want that closeness and relationship to be severed with the Lord. That was the most important thing. He didn't say, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my you know, power as being king or my prestige and all that. He says, here's the thing that really troubles me. And we see this over and over again in the Psalms of David, my closeness with you. It's of priority. The one thing that I desire that I will seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Remember last week that we looked at? That was David's heart. And because his hope was in God, he knew that he would be strengthened in his heart. And Lord, I want to stay close to you and continue to cry out to you. You know, he was one that he pursued the Lord even in the difficulties he went through and the chastening of the Lord. And that's what you and I are to do. So David here, he is trusting in the Lord in his adversity that he went through. And then now in chapter 32, this is the second of seven repented psalms of David. And again, he wrote this after his sin with Bathsheba. And David is going to share four things about sin and forgiveness that we as believers should understand. So in verse 1 in Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. So here we see that, um, you know, Psalm 32 speaks, as I mentioned to you, the blessing that is found in forgiveness. Now, in Psalm 51, that we'll get to in a couple weeks, um, is a familiar psalm to many of us. And that's one of the more familiar repentive psalms that David wrote. And he focuses on his confession of sin. Here he's focusing, as I said, of the joy being found in forgiveness. And David would praise God that he was forgiven. And we should as well. Forgiven of sin and transgression because of what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross of Calvary. Are you and I expressing in our hearts praise and joy because we are forgiven? Are we doing that? We should do that continually. And I think that a lot of us have the testimony. When we first came to the Lord and we gave our hearts to Him and asked for forgiveness and we were born again by the Spirit of God, didn't you feel free? It's just like, wow, Lord, I'm forgiven. And you see, I think I sense that with David as, as he writes this. He's worshiping that, number one, you can write down that there's freedom of forgiveness, we have been freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin in our lives. And the greatest need that any man or any woman has is to be forgiven of sin. And you've experienced that, as I mentioned, as you came to the Lord. Oh, just all of a sudden you felt free, didn't you, from sin? I'm forgiven. It's like the weight of the world was off of you. The shame and the guilt and all of that, I am free. And that's where true freedom is found and being forgiven and knowing that we are a forgiven people. You see, if you go after the world and those of the world, they think they're free. People think, I'll live any way that I want to. I'll do what I want to do. I'll be the captain of my own ship, you know. I'll, I'll make the calls. I'll live any way that I want to. That's not freedom. They think it is, but it's not. 
And when they live after the world and the pleasures of the world, what it's going to bring to them is bondage and captivity. The one who is truly free is one like you and me that are forgiven. Our iniquities, our sins, our transgressions. The freedom that comes from being forgiven. So I can sense that with David as he's just expressing his joy for being forgiven. And then in verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Shalah. David here is being honest in admitting that he was hiding, covering his sin, and he was miserable. So number one, we can learn from this psalm the freedom of forgiveness. Second of all, that we learn the foolishness of covering sin. He, he would hide his sin, as I mentioned to you, from, from you, know, um, you know, that he committed with Bathsheba for nearly a year. And God was chastening him during that time, bringing him to that place of confession and repentance. And here, David was a physical wreck. His bones hurt. He felt the heavy hand of God on him. He had groaning that was going on. He felt dry inside. He was absolutely miserable. And that's what God will do with us when he's chasing us. And maybe some of you have experienced that at one degree or another, that there's some sin or something going on that the Lord's bringing that, that discipline and chastening you, and you can sense God being heavy, his hand on you. And it isn't to bring judgment on you. It's for you to come to repentance and confession and then be drawn to the Lord. And that's what is happening with David. Oh, man, you know, just my body aches, my groaning is, is taking place inside. I feel dry. I'm absolutely miserable. He was miserable for all those months. And that's what will happen if we try to cover up sin because God loves us. And he doesn't want us to continue in covering up sin. He sees it all. We can hide it from, you know, our spouse, our family, co-workers, other family members, neighbors, brothers and sisters in the Lord, but you cannot cover it up from sin, from the Lord, your sin. The Lord sees and he knows everything. And he will chasten us and put his hand upon us in a heavy way because he wants us to come into repentance. He wants us to confess it. He wants us to say, Lord, this is wrong. And so that leads to verse Five, as we continue here in Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And another pause here. There's three pauses in this Psalm here. In verse six, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near to him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with the songs of deliverance. Another pause, shalah. So number one, the freedom of forgiveness. Second of all, the foolishness of covering up sin. And then thirdly, you can write in your notes or your margins, the way of repentance is to confess. You know that word confess means to be in agreement with. Lord, I'm in agreement with you that this is wrong that I've missed the mark, I've transgressed your ways, your laws, it is wrong. Confession is not making excuses. Or I'm going to blame it on somebody else. Whenever I have somebody come in my office, or if I do it myself, 
and I can catch myself doing this. You know, I come up with an excuse. Well, they made me mad. You know, I wouldn't have gotten angry if it wasn't for them, you know, and how they do things or making excuses, always, you know, blaming somebody else. Being agreement says this, that I have sinned and it is wrong, period, and Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, I confess, I'm in agreement with you that I have sinned. That's what repentance is. And sin should cause us to have a broken heart because we sinned against God, a holy God. There are some that think that God, you know, you know is, um, repentance is a, is a um, negative thing. Repentance is a positive thing. We need to realize that. I think we need to change our thinking. Sometimes maybe, you know, people think that repentance is such a harsh word. Or maybe you got a picture of, of you know, one time a, a pastor with a, you know, bony finger, you know, you know, doing this. And <laughs> you need to repent and all hard and everything and, you know, and harshness and all of this. But repentance is a wonderful word that we can repent and confess and say, Lord, I'm sorry, and, and then experience the joy of forgiveness because we are forgiven, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is so good that we can repent, and he wants us to. It's a good thing, a positive thing. There are some people that feel like God will never forgive them. Maybe there might be somebody listening on live stream or even here tonight. You might think, well, I've sinned and God can never forgive me. All manner of sin is forgiven. He will forgive you. He desires for you to call out to him and confess it and the trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Confession is to bring us to God. Conviction and chastening of the Lord is to bring us to God. It's not to drive us away from him. So that's why number four, as I've already mentioned in verses 8 through 11, that there is the joy of forgiveness. As we read in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bitten bridle, else they will not come near you. He says, Lord, I, I, I want you to teach me. I... I desire for you to instruct me. Guide me with your eye. I like that. I don't want to be like a, a stubborn horse or a mule that has to have a bitter uh, bridle, you know, that has to be led everywhere, I, you know, and kind of a pulled in, in, in that way. I want you to just simply look at me. I'm so close to you, and we are so connected that all you have to do is guide me with your eye. You know how that works. You know, sometimes as parents, we can look at our kids and they know something's up, right? Just kind of, uh-oh. Or, you know, at, at work, and, and there's some guys here that um, I can just look at them, and they know that I'm needing something and uh, in the service. You know, I can't stop during the middle of the teaching and say, you know, it's really warm here. Can you guys turn the air conditioning on? But I can look at Jerry. I can look at John and, and kind of look at him with my eye, and they say, okay, he's hot. I can tell. And uh, I need to check the thermostat. You know what I mean? Or, you know, sometimes, you know, in a small sanctuary where we get more and more people, there can be distractions. And, and um, you know, sometimes it just happens accidentally. But they, I can just look at them. They know that I have a need. Or they come up and, 
and they'll ask me, what is it that you need? I can just kind of do that with my eye, with my look. And you see, that's the way the Lord desires to have with us, just that as we learn his ways, that, oh, the Lord's just guiding me in that still small voice in a simple way. I know what the Lord wants of me at this time. So David is expressing that. And then he ends the psalm by rejoicing in God's mercy. And in verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So remember that um, there can be negative consequences of sin, but there is great joy in being forgiven as David expresses that. Psalm 33, we don't know who penned Psalm 33. It may have been David, but his name's not given to this psalm. And this psalm is devoted to praise. And as we read it, we read, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise is from upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with the instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Hebrews 13 tells us that we're continually to offer up praise to God, giving thanks unto his name. You might recall that in chapter 2 of 1 Peter that we went through recently, that we have been brought out of the darkness into his marvelous light, and now we can offer up praises to God that are acceptable to him through Jesus Christ. And one of those praises is a sacrifice of praise. One of those sacrifices, that is, is praising him continually. And you see, I like what David says here, and I think that I, I hope I can articulate this uh, to where um, he's saying, sing to him a new song. And worship is not just when we come here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. That's a wonderful time of corporate worship. Oh, I, I love it, just to worship tonight uh, as we come together and we're worshiping the Lord. One of the questions that I was asked today on Calvary Live was about the place of secular music uh, in the church. And, um, you know, I want to worship the Lord. I want to magnify his name. You know, I want to worship him. That's what I want. And just to, to see hands lifted and, and true worship that's going on is such a wonderful thing. And we should be worshipers every day of our lives, just having a, a praise and a song in our hearts because we belong to him and God is good. That is those sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, continually praising him. But I hope and pray for us that worship wouldn't just be routine, that it can be. Okay, um, we're going to come in and we're going to worship and we sing these songs, but there should be a new song in our hearts. And we should be ready to worship and desiring to worship. And I think that's what David is saying here. Yes, it's great when we learn new songs, and, but I never want worship to be routine here. I pray that it isn't just routine with you, that it would be a time of great joy and expression and drawing close to the Lord. Worship is a very important part of our Christian lives. We're going to spend all eternity worshiping the Lord. So I want to start now, and I want it to be a very important part of Calvary Chapel here and of your life as well to encourage you that there should be a new song in our hearts every single day. You know, there should be a new song continually, and that is that, Lord, I'm going to worship with all of my heart, and I want there to be just that um, expression of adoration and praise unto your name. I do not want worship to just be routine. Worship the Lord. Worship Him. 
come and, and be here and worship. And I want to emphasize that, that David was a worshiper and he loved the Lord and that was very important in his life. And it showed when he made plans for the temple that as he divided up the singers and the Levites and the musicians, that there would be worship there at the temple 24 hours a day. It was important to him and it should be important to us as well, that worship in our hearts. When we come here, what my prayer is, and please, I'm not being critical, that we should be ready to worship, whether we're here or out in a coffee shop, that we want to stop and we want to worship the Lord, and we want to praise Him because it's so important and not just routine. So here David expresses that, and then as we continue in verse 4, for the word of the Lord is right, and all His work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So this verse, or these two verses that we read in verses 4 and 5, gives us reason to worship because, number one, His truth, the Word of God. Second of all, because of His righteousness, He is perfect, and He is righteous, and He is holy. And His judgments, His judgments, of course, are righteous and true. And fourthly, His goodness. And we can look around and we can see His goodness in worship. And aren't you glad? I know I am, and I bet you are too that we don't have just the, you know, have to look at the weirdness and the darkness of the world, that we can look to Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why he answered that question that when we come here, I want to worship the Lord. I want to leave the world out there. I want to leave the world outside these four walls and just come and focus on him and learn of him and worship him. That's my desire, and I know it's your desire as well. But I am so thankful that we can worship the Lord, that we don't just have the world and all the weirdness and getting more weird and darkness and getting more darkness that draws our attention all the time, but we can go to the light and we can go to Him who is true and righteous. And we continue in verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap, and He lays up the deep in storehouses. And let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. And he commanded and it stood fast. So we worship because, um, you know, because of God's great creative power. He spoke and the heavens and the earth came into existence. It was done, verse 9. And, and we should be in awe of him. The incredible power of God. And always remember, he spoke and the worlds and the universe came into existence. And there's no problem or situation too difficult that he isn't powerful enough to work in your life. He is the awesome, all-powerful God, and we are at awe of his creative power, and we can be at awe of his desire and ability to work in our lives in whatever we may face. In verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generation. And blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. So again, you know, a nation that looks to the Lord in his word, his counsel, shall be blessed. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that's why we need to pray for our nation, because we've gotten further away from that. And remember that it was David that said in Psalm 19, I believe, that he said, some trust in horses and some in chariots. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And we need to remember the Lord our God as a nation and as a church. 
we want to be able to trust in him, in his strength, and not in ourselves. And blessed is the nation, blessed is the church, blessed is the family, whose God is the Lord, that he's giving counsel to, that we're looking to, and allowing him to work. And so we need to continue to pray. Pray for our families and for the church and pray for our nation. And David understood that. And the Lord looks from heaven in verse 13. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks. And all the inhabitants of the earth, he fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their work. So he sees everything. As I mentioned, you can't hide anything from God in your actions or speech, what's in your heart. In verse 16, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. So here is he says that multiplying horses isn't going to help you. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 30 that the Lord said, Woe to the rebellious children of Israel, for you take counsel but not of me. You're going to Egypt and you're trusting in those, those large you know, Arabian horses that you're wanting to, to have help you. They are not going to help you. It's all going to be in vain. And so it is the Lord that's saying, return to me and take counsel from me. And in coming to me in quietness shall be your strength. So we see that here he says, David understood that, hey, that the nation that looks to the horses and multiplies them and their own strength, you know what? It's going to come to nothing. And it's the same with you and me. The strength that you and I have is going to be through looking to the Lord for him, for his counsel. And he promises, Isaiah 30 says, that he will be a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to work. Trust in me. Don't go to the world. Don't go to those fast horses, but look to me because it's all in vain. I'm the one that's going to help you. And then in verse uh, 18, that behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. And let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. So, Father, we know that you are our hope. And we thank you for this time that we've had in your word to be encouraged and to be reminded of these great truths and principles that are given to us in your word. And Father, I just, I thank you that uh, we can be comforted, instructed um, by looking at these things. Lord, you are our hope. You're our strength. Lord, we're forgiven. And we can have great joy tonight because we're forgiven people. And Father, as we just have a few minutes, first of all, I just want to pray for anybody who may be in a coffee shop or here or listening live stream or listening to this message later, that maybe you haven't been forgiven because you've never called out upon the name of the Lord. You've never turned to him for salvation. You've never realized how you need to be forgiven. The greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of their sins, and it only comes through Jesus Christ who hung on a cross for you. The book of Hebrews says there's no other sacrifice for sin. Jesus alone went to the cross and died for you. He alone rose from the grave. He alone is Lord and Savior, the one that can save you. Today, tonight is tonight 
to give your life to the Lord if you've never done that. Don't play games in trying to be religious or thinking that you're saved. I go to church, I'm a good person. None of those things will save you. It is a heart that says that I recognize that I am a sinner, I need forgiveness, and to repent. That simply means, again, to change direction and to cry out to the Lord. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. It's available. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's going to make you a new creation, and you're going to be free. You're going to be free from the penalty of sin, and then he desires to fill you with his Holy Spirit to free you from the power of sin in your life. You can trust him. His word is true. He's alive. Will you call upon him for salvation? If that means anything to anyone tonight, you pray right where you're at. That Jesus, I come to you, the Savior of the world, the Lord of all lords and King of all kings, who died for me, forgive me, a sinner. And I know that you're alive because you're drawing me to you, Lord. You're pressing my heart. You're speaking to me. You're knocking on the door of my heart. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. Oh, forgive me. And Lord, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your love. And help me to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for freeing me. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer after the service, I want you to come up and pray with me. I want to encourage you and bless you. If you're on live stream, call us during the week. We, we want to know and the decision you made and encourage you. But for us, well, we just got a couple minutes left. If you're here tonight, and maybe that sin has had a terrible effect on you, or maybe you feel like, Lord, will you forgive me? I want you to know this. The Word of God declares there's forgiveness. And even though you may be experiencing difficulties because of sin, or maybe you didn't sin, maybe somebody else sinned, and you're, you're feeling the consequences of it, Lord, I just pray that we would call upon you for whatever difficulty or circumstance we might be in. And Lord, knowing that you're faithful and merciful and gracious and so good, and that you love us and your love remains. So thank you for that. And you're the one that sets our feet upon the wide place. You're our fortress. You're our strength. You're everything that we need. And that we would have confidence as your children to cry out, Abba, Father, to draw close to you. And Lord, know that you see us and you hear us. And you desire to work because you are the incredible, awesome God that loves his children. So, Lord, thank you for the encouragement tonight through your word and the comfort that comes. Bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?